I am impressed as a parent that my son got honorable mention cleaning anything. <laughs> and I, I also lived in, uh, well, actually, Hodgkiss was all that there was when I was here, and uh, we had ants then. So it's uh, been over 20 years that they have been uh, battling the ants. I never got any, uh, I never got any uh, awards for cleaning. Actually, on one occasion, Dormfather uh, slipped a note under our door and it said, sweep this floor or shave it. And uh, they, they always were harder on the girls, you know, to keep their rooms clean. And, and so on the guy's side, it was uh, sometimes a battle. And as I recall, my roommate, who is uh, now a very successful lawyer, Christian lawyer, uh, had had an egg fight in our room, hard-boiled eggs all over, and uh, that attracted the ants and then attracted the uh, little reminder from our dorm father that uh, something needed to happen. So I'm going to go home, Josh. I don't know where you are. It's kind of funny. You, know, you should be in here someplace. You're not telling me, are you? Okay, well, I'll find you later. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go home and tell your mother. She won't believe it, but I'm going to tell her anyway that you, uh, that you did that. It is good to be here with you. Uh, I have been president this past year at Northwest Baptist Seminary in Tacoma. And as you know, seminaries are where you go after college to train. We train pastors and missionaries and Christian workers. And I just like to say this, and that is that if you are following the Lord in your life, it's the greatest thing in the world to be there. That's the greatest thing. And I've been pastoring for 18 years, and I have to tell you that uh, when they asked me to be the president now just over a year ago, I, I wasn't so sure about that, partly because I knew something about pastoring, and I knew very little about being president. And I began praying. <clears throat> when I sensed that God wanted me to be the president, I prayed some more. Because, like most of you, I don't like to do dumb things. And God had blessed our ministry, and we were delighted in the pastorate. And yet I felt that's where God wanted. And, and interesting, most of my friends said to me, Mark, you are crazy. You know, good friends will tell you. And I just want to tell you that if you are following the Lord, it is always wonderful. Always. And God has blessed us unbelievably at the school. Over a year ago, we had serious financial difficulties. And... God has brought us through completely. And uh, God has changed our direction and encouraged us. And uh, school starts Thursday this week. And I'm missing new student orientation this morning. We have more new students than we have had in years. And we are so thankful for what the Lord is doing and I, I just say this because sometimes when you hear about ministry, people say, oh, man, you know, there's these problems and those problems. But you know what? If you're following the Lord, wherever you are, if you're following the Lord, it is great. Somebody ought to tell you. Not to say there aren't some challenges along the way, but I want to tell you, I, I'm having more fun than a person deserves. And, uh, 
And really, as I look back on this year, I have to tell you, it's because the Lord has had his hand on our school and on our students. And uh, it's just the delight of my heart to build into those men and women who are preparing for ministry. Well, before we open God's word together, will you bow with me in prayer? Lord, this is kind of an interesting situation, but I think of it so often that we can travel around the world to preach a message that we wouldn't go across the street to hear. And so before these students, I would just like to say, Lord, that I'd like you to touch my heart as well as their hearts. And that as we look at things that are important for our lives, that you would get a hold of us here. And that, in fact, the speaker will be able to get out of the way and that the Holy Spirit will work in us deeply this morning. It will be your power that we see and your glory. And somehow, we will know that we were with you. Lord, I thank you for the worship that we have had, how it has prepared our hearts how we have lifted these words and our voices to you. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. And now, Lord, as we open your word, would you, in a very real way, speak to me and to each of us in this room. Lord, don't let us waste our time and leave and not have any change. We're asking this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's just suppose you could have three wishes, any three wishes that you want. Huh? Haven't we all thought about this someplace along the line? Something, if I could have three things. You know, the, the reason Aladdin was so popular as a movie was because all of us have had that spot along the way where we kind of wished that we could do one or two or three things. I mean, we've all sat down, haven't we? We thought about the lotto. I mean, we wouldn't play the lotto. But if you won the lotto, what would you do with? You know, you have all these thoughts, right? If it was bigger than just money, if you could have anything that you wanted, see? Well, your mind gets rolling, doesn't it? I mean, some of you, something comes immediately to your mind. Usually, it's the stuff that's really right in front of us. You got an exam in an hour, would that might have something to do with your wish or, you know, you've got a relationship that's could be better. You have, you have your school bill. See, boy, that would, could do that right away. And I know that most of you, like I, have thought about the fact that if you had three wishes, you'd ask for three more. Huh? Haven't we all done that? We all sat and thought, now, if I had three wishes, I wouldn't be dumb enough just to waste them on any old thing. I'd ask for more wishes so that my, you know, I know. I thought that way. Yet really, when we think about it like this, it, it kind of tells some things about our priorities. Even for those of you who wanted a hundred more wishes, it kind of shows the greed in your life that you'd like more than what you get. But most of us, most of us, if we had some time to think about it, we would go to a little larger scheme. I can remember when I taught junior high, you know, over the years as a pastor, they, they feed you to the lions once in a while, and they, they gave me to the junior hires. No one would take them. Now, I just want to tell you, I think 
that if you have the opportunity to minister to junior highers, there is no greater group in the church that you can minister to the junior high. And I'm going to tell you, if you're interested, just about any church in the valley will take you. I ministered at junior high, and it was interesting. We had one of these little games to play one night, and I gave them all um, fake money. And then I listed all kinds of things that they could buy with it. They could buy with it uh, a beautiful home. They could buy with it a strong family. They, I mean, these were, these were uh, miracle bucks. You know, they, they had all, we had all these categories. The only rule was that... If you bid on something and, and you didn't get it, you lost the money. So in other words, put your money where your priorities are. It's interesting because the kids from really strong Christian homes, they all bought cars and boats and houses. But the kids who were saved out of unsaved homes, I can remember it because tears came to my eyes because they put every miracle buck that they had on a home that would honor Jesus. See, the kids that had a great home, they didn't know how great that was. But those that didn't have one, they said, that is the most important thing to me. It spoke loudly about their priorities. Now, I know that for a while we can do this kind of make-believe thing, but did you know that twice in the Bible, people were offered by God anything that they wanted, we're moving out of the fairy tale to reality. God actually said on two occasions, you can ask me for anything you want. Will you take your Bibles and turn to the first one? It's in 1 Kings chapter 3. It is incredible to me that the creator of the world would have anything to do with this at all, and yet God comes down on two occasions and says, ask me for whatever you want. Just ask. You will find in 1 Kings 3 that we are dealing with Solomon. Solomon now has taken the throne of David. And if you will look in the third chapter, beginning at... Verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. There it is. A blank check. Solomon, you can ask me for anything you want. I mean, just, it, it just staggers my mind that God himself would actually say that to us here in Solomon's case. So, are you with me? What would you ask for? Now, most of you have a lot of real estate in front of you, humanly speaking, and so you probably wouldn't immediately say, I'd like to have a long life. But may I tell you that I have sat beside the bedside of some very young people who are dying. And they said, you know, I have a lot more things in my life that I wanted to do that I'm not going to be able to do. And they certainly would have asked for a few more years. 
Or maybe we'd ask for riches. Now, I'm going to say something that sounds kind of unusual and rather odd, and you may say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but I want to tell you, I have met some really rich people. I mean, rich people that I will never, ever come close to the amount of money that they have. I don't hobnob with rich people, but I have met them. Some of them were my friends. Some of them were in my church. And I just like to tell you this, that I have never met a person who lived for riches who was happy. Never. If you are sitting here this morning and you are going through school and you say, I would like to have more rich, more money, that really is one of the reasons I'm trying to get this college education. That is a, a part of the driving force in my life. You are going to be greatly, greatly disappointed. I mean, I have been in homes that were like mansions with all the cars and all the stuff and all the money that... These people would take three, four, five, six trips a year all over the world. They could do anything they wanted. But you know what? If you are living for riches, it is really empty. Really empty. And you say, I'd like just to have that empty for a couple days. <laughs> you know what? Not really. Not really. Not even for a couple of days would I change places with people who are living for money. Not wrong to have money, you know. But you know what? If you are living for riches, if you say, you know, I could have anything I wanted. I want to be rich. I bet in a year or two you'd give it back. Say, could I have something else? The Lord said, Solomon, what do you want? Now, you remember that Solomon, as a young boy, had a father named David who was always on the run, hunted by Saul. And maybe... You say, you know, Lord, could you, could you zap this person in their Nikes? Just finish them for me. Huh? I don't know if you've been following the uh, massacres in Rwanda. And I suspect that you do not know that 80% of all the Rwandans were claimed to be Christians. Maybe you have seen the pictures of them being bulldozed by the body loads as they have been killed. And I suspect that if we went to a Rwandan refugee this morning and said, you could have any wish that you want, that they would say, I'd like to see those people who killed us by the thousands dead. Hmm? Now, I mention those three because the Lord mentions those three after uh, Solomon talks. Look here. Here's what Solomon says. Verse 6. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. But, but, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So here's the request. Verse 9. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Sounds kind of theoretical a little bit. That you could have anything you want, and Solomon says, Lord, give me a discerning heart. 
Give me wisdom. Lord, help me to know what your will is and to do it. You see, really what we have here is Solomon asking God to make him godly. Yeah, that's it. He's saying, God, would you make me godly? And look at the Lord's response. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Have you ever prayed alone with the Lord, Lord, make me godly? You know what? I think you would find that the Lord would be pleased if you asked him. I don't mean just parroting the words, not enough. We're not going to chant, Lord, make me godly together. I am just suggesting that the Lord said, this is so pleasing. Matter of fact, the Lord said it was so pleasing. Solomon, since you didn't ask for a long life, since you didn't ask for riches, said you didn't ask for the destruction of your enemies, I'm going to give you riches, and I'm going to give you the destruction of your enemies. And the Lord says, and if you obey me, verse 14, and walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. The point of this message is this. I think we ought to ask God to make us godly. Yes, I do. And of all the things as, at the seminary that I'm working on with students, I think it's wonderful we've had high academic standards for all of these years. And we have students who know that we are committed to practical training. But I want to tell you something, that if you go to this school and graduate, or if you go on to seminary and graduate, and you are not godlier, then we have failed. Now take your Bibles after we just see Solomon here and turn over with me now to Isaiah chapter 7. Here's the second one. This is a little more unusual passage. And the reason I bring you here is because God comes to a man who's not godly. His name was Ahaz. He lived in Isaiah's time. He was a king who was full of himself. Now Ahaz has a problem. Here's the problem. He has enemies that are coming against him politically to attack the land. Okay? He is nervous. And Ahaz really doesn't want God's help, but he is desperate. And, uh, you know, you read it in the very first verse, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they couldn't overpower it. But he's got a problem. Here are these men coming against him. They are attacking his people, and he doesn't think he can handle it. So, he's thinking about making some political alliances. You know, this is how it is sometimes when, we're, when our life isn't a jam. We say, uh, there must be something I can do. So he thinks, you know, if I, if I make some alliances with some other kings and other kingdoms, we pull this thing together, maybe I can get these guys off my back. And at that point... Uh, Isaiah comes in and says, listen, don't worry about these two guys who are attacking you, because they're history. Don't worry about it. Now, Ahaz doesn't believe him. And so the Lord does a very interesting thing with a man who is uh, rather prosperous, Ahaz was, but with a problem. Look with me now again at verse 10. 
Isaiah 7.10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. The Lord says, listen, I'm going to do this great thing. You can ask me whatever you want. Just ask. Make some kind of a special sign. You want something? I want to show you that I am the Lord. I'm going to do something. So here we have again. Here's a man now with a, a priority choice. It's going to show what's in his heart, what is in his life. He thinks about it. He says, verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. Wow. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now you got to think about this a little bit. If the Lord actually gave a person anything they wanted and the person said, no, I'm not going to ask. You say, well, is this, is this man terribly humble? No. No, he wasn't humble at all. He was full of the pride of Ahaz. He did not want God's help. Do you know why? Because if we tell God that we want his help and we want to be godly, he will expect obedience. And Ahaz didn't want that. See, you know, we can all say, yes, we want to be godly. Listen, if we want to be godly, God is going to start working in our lives and bringing us to obedience. On Saturday, and I, and I try to be careful because sometimes if I get watering up, then I can't get these leaky faucets to stop. On Saturday, we had a funeral service. One of my professors at Northwest Baptist Seminary was a professor. Actually, it was a professor years ago here. Uh, married the Dean of Women here. And uh, got his Ph.D., went to Dallas and taught at Dallas Seminary, came and taught the last 15 years at our seminary, went home to glory on Saturday. Well, we had a service on Saturday. And uh, I was privileged to be there. The place was absolutely packed full of people. The singing alone of all of the pastors and people and those that have been touched were just riveting. And uh, Phil Williams, Dave Maddox would have had him as a, as a prof too, was the godliest man I have ever met, ever, in my life. I never met a godlier person, ever. Not on all the people that I've ever known. Challenged the socks off us as students and then later as a friend and as a pastor that we ought to be godly. It was his heartbeat all the time. He was a giant in our hearts. Not, not in the world. The world wouldn't have said, boy, there is the greatest. But he, before God, walked with God in such a way that all the time and in every way, 
He wanted to be more like Jesus. He impacted my life as a seminary student more than any other professor I had and said to us, you know what? It is the most wonderful thing to follow God fully in our lives and to be godly. And as I was at the memorial service, and I guess it was a week ago last night that I was in Phil's church and listened to all the people in the church reminisce. It's interesting, you know, as a pastor, sometimes people make stuff up when someone dies. Okay? I've been lots of funerals, and I've been with lots of families, and sometimes they hated the old codger's guts, but they could say so many nice things about them. It's amazing. I have to be careful as a pastor that I didn't lie at the funeral. Because everybody knew what kind of a person, you know, you're dealing with. But you know, last week when I listened to all the people talk about Phil's life, the little children, people in the church that said, you know, I was nothing. I came to this church and and Dr. Williams came and spent all kinds of time with me and loved me and pointed me back to Christ. Missionaries who told me how broken their lives were coming back from the field. And Phil came and was that godly instrument that turned their life back to the Lord. And as I heard it, I realized no one was having to make anything up because, in fact, they had been impacted by a man who wanted to be godly all the time. Would you like to be that kind of a person? I think God is calling all of us in this room. You and me, each of us, to be godly. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1, which I will now camp here for the rest of our time together. God impressed some things here in my mind as I prepared to talk to you that I could not shake and believe the Holy Spirit has something for us in developing godliness. See, there's a night and day difference between Solomon and Ahaz. One said, Lord, I want a discerning heart. And one said, nah, I don't want to ask. One wanted to obey, the other did not want to obey. Now, you know, even as I talk about Solomon, in some of your minds you say, yeah, but he didn't make it all the way to the end. Isn't that a sad thought? Matter of fact, I have studied in the Bible how many people started well and didn't end well. I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. And you remember that the Lord said to Solomon, Listen, Solomon, I'm going to give you a discerning heart and I'm going to do all these things for you, but a long life means you have to obey. And you remember that Solomon didn't obey right to the end. That's the heartache of seeing those people who started well and didn't finish well. They stopped asking God to make them godly to the end. And the thing about Phil Williams' life that has touched my life so deeply is right to his last breath, when the nurses were coming to his home and his body was racked by cancer, he continued to tell them about Jesus. Right to the end, he was godly. I come back to James 1. If we believe that this godliness that we are talking about is so important, more crucial than academics, it is more crucial than anything else now, then we have to say, Lord, how do I get some? 
how do I develop godliness in me? James chapter 1, I'd like you to begin with me at verse 19, where James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, jot it down. I believe that if we really want to be godly, we must develop an attitude of teachability. I think that's what he says right here. You've seen those little license plates that say, what do they say? Shut up, sit down, hang on. Something like that. James comes to us and says, listen, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to listen and not to answer back right away and not to get angry right away. Have you noticed that angry people don't learn very much? Huh? Is your roommate spout off quite a bit? He say, man, I wish they could just hear me. You can't hear very well when you're angry all the time. Tell them anything. They knew everything. <clears throat> On the other hand, I have met some of the sweetest, oldest Christians that I know who were always listening. And they were slow to speak. And God was working in their life to make them godlier because they were teachable. Are you with me? God wants us to be teachable. He says, listen, dear brothers, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, the second thing is in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Is evil so prevalent? Sure it is. It's all around us. He says, number two, get rid of moral filth. Now, I was talking to one of the profs uh, last week. We were talking about a person who had failed in their moral life. That is, they were in the ministry, they were a graduate of our seminary, and they went bad. And uh, as we were talking, uh, this prof said to me, you know, if we would give an exam to everybody in our seminary and say... Is it right or wrong to commit adultery? They would all give us the right answer. They know what the answer is in their mind. But somehow that doesn't always get translated into the life that says, you know what? I, before God, need to put away moral filth. If you want to be godly, God says, I want you to be teachable. I want you to put away the moral filth that comes into your life. Does it come? Sure it does. It attacks the mind. He says, put that away. Every once in a while I meet people who argue for moral filth. Really weird. And you're talking to them and you realize that they're saying, well, I think it's okay to do what I'm doing. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. 
Is there something wrong with this conversation from a Christian? Look at the next phrase. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I need to have a teachable attitude. God help me that there's some moral filth that has come and splashed into my life that I would put it away. That I would ask for God's forgiveness. That I would set it aside. And then I would humbly come and accept the word planted. Ever seen a little kid? Those big eyes. You tell them something, they say, Really? You can just see that they just believe what you're telling them. And the Lord says, listen, humbly, say like a little child, that you would come and say, Lord, I would like to receive the word of God so that you could talk to me. See, I'll tell you what happens in our lives. That You know, there are things that you're doing or there are things that I'm doing. We could argue about them. Is this right or is this wrong? Is this right? You know what? If I come to God and say, God, I humbly want to come and I want you to tell me whatever you want to tell me, it's a whole big difference. I mean, I can convince you that what I'm doing is right. Have you ever driven with somebody who speeds? Now, I'm sure none of you do this. Ha. Huh. Have you ever said to them while they were speeding, you know, you shouldn't speed? Did they ever listen to you? Ever? Huh? They say they're a preacher. They have some special prerogative with God to break the law. They tell you to mind your own business. They tell you this isn't very bad. It's amazing, all the arguments that they will tell you. Where is that person that will humbly say, oh, I'm sorry, and take their foot off the accelerator and go the speed limit? Where are they? Now, why do we all laugh? Well, we all laugh because we all have done it. Huh? If your mother only knew how fast you drove at school, she would haul you home. See, it's another thing, if in fact we get involved with God and God as he works in our life and as we open our hearts to the word that God says, I don't want you to speed. You know, God has a lot more clout than your mother. If in fact God tells you not to speed, would you stop? It is that humble position before God that says, God, I want to be teachable. I want to put away filth in my life. And I want to humbly. That is like a servant. Receive what you have to tell me. And then, just in case we didn't get it, James says this. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay? Develop teachability. Get rid of moral filth. Humbly accept the word. And then James says, here it is, obey it. I'm telling you, it is possible to take in the word humbly and still not to obey it. 
to say, okay, I know what that is. You see, it is possible for us to actually know the truth and to know the stories of the Bible and to have it really well in mind. Yeah, okay, this is what we're supposed to do and not to obey it. Is it not easy to do that? It is easy to do that. I am here as a proof to you that I can have all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of abilities to understand the Word of God and not to obey it. Boy, that's a dangerous place. And you see, we begin confusing having it in our mind and having it in our life. I'm sitting across the table in my office two years ago. I'm talking to a man. Actually, he's talking to me. He has marriage problems. He's come to see me. Just the two of us. And I listened for about two hours. Long time. All kinds of stuff. Just heartache and problems and difficulties. And I'm listening. And as I am listening, I am grieved within my heart by the Holy Spirit that something's deeply wrong in this man's life. And he talks. I ask a question or two. And I listen. And he talks. And I listen. And finally, after two hours, I looked right in him in the eye and I said, I've never said this to anyone else before, but I want to tell you something, that you are either on the verge of committing gross immorality in your life or you already have. I said, it's like there's a great big target drawn on your back. And as I've been listening, I just sense that is either about to happen or already has happened. And he begins to cry. And my heart sinks. He has a wife, two kids. And he's been sleeping around. We begin talking. And then the most amazing statement. I'll always hear it. He looked up at me and he said, I know adultery is wrong, but you know, in my case, I really have a good reason. What? Do you know what happened? We had someone who had the knowledge in his mind, but it never got to his life. And he built up reasons and excuses, just like you do for speeding, as to why what it was in his life was okay to do what he was doing. It was all right. He had a reason for it. Really, he did. And it was a good reason. Unless you read the Bible. He had convinced himself and rationalized in his life until it came to the place where he actually believed the lie that what he was doing was right with God. You say, I can't believe anybody would be that stupid. You ever rationalize on your sin? Do you ever know the truth and then don't do it? James says, listen, I want you to be teachable. I want you to put aside moral filth, but that's not enough. I want you to humbly receive the word of God, and then I want you to do it. 
Don't talk about it. Don't write papers about it. Do it. Act on it. Practice it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Have you ever been in a real rush in the morning? You went in, you got dressed, you quick looked in the mirror, you got yourself ready, you ran down, you had something to eat, and in eating in the morning you got food on your face but you didn't know? Hmm? Egg. Right here. And you know, as you talk to people, you notice that when they, when you were talking to them, they kept going. And what you didn't know is the egg is moving up and down as you're talking. It's really hard to listen to somebody when the egg is moving up and down. Have you ever noticed that? Take them seriously. But on the other side, they don't really know you that well to say, you know, you got eggs smeared all over your face, so they just don't say anything. And so you go through the day, and you've got this stuff on there, and you, and you're just. And then you, you, you run in, in between classes, you run out of the restroom, you look in the mirror, and all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness. Do you mean all day everybody's been looking at this on my face and nobody said anything? What kind of friends do I have? And you quick get it off. And then the more you think about it, the more you think, who, who did I talk to? Who saw me like this? Now just take that and magnify it by about a hundred times that James says, here's the person who looks in the mirror, sees that it's on his face, and then goes out and doesn't do anything. Matter of fact, it's interesting to me, I looked at it and read it again, he immediately forgets what he looks like. What do we call that? We call that stupid. Huh? I mean, if you've got a roommate that's like that, you're either... You're either putting in for a transfer or, or you're trying to do some serious changing. Say, look, you've got an egg on your face. They say, ah, that's all right, I don't care. <sighs> He's convinced himself that it's not important. Look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Did you hear that? The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Here's the last thing. Developing godliness in our life. I need to be teachable. Put away moral filth. Humbly accept the word. I need to act on what God has given me. And then he says, I need to keep looking. I need to keep look, keep intently look. When was the last time you intently looked at the Word of God? You got the Word of God and a pencil and a paper and sat alone with the Lord and just said, Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? I'm just going to read and read and read and I just want to listen. Lord, I want to be godly. I want to be godly. And I will not be satisfied if I come to school and get knowledge and have friends and do all these things, and if I am not more like Jesus, Lord, what will it take in my life? I am listening humbly. I will do whatever you ask me to do. We sang that this morning.
Some people come to the Bible and think that it is uh, something that holds them back. But I want to tell you that the Lord says, if you look intently into the perfect law, that brings freedom. Every once in a while I meet people who have been abused. It is not the sin in their own life that they were abused. They were abused as children, abused by others physically, emotionally, sexually. So hard to look. Can I tell you something? God's word says, listen, keep looking in the word. See, but it's so painful to think about some of those things and what God wants to teach me from the word. Keep looking in the word. Because God wants to change us. In my devotions this morning, I happen to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says we all, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Lord the Spirit. Do you know what? God wants to change me. He wants to make Mark Wagner godly. He wants to do that for you. And he says, you know, you'll be blessed. Would you like to be godly this morning? I mean, really. If you had a wish this morning and you left this place, would you say, you know what? If there's one thing, if there's one thing in my life I could have over everything else, I'd like to be godly. Do you know it's possible to ask God to do that in us? Now be careful. He's going to ask you to obey. See, the Lord isn't looking for super students. No, he's not. God's not looking for stars. He's not looking for those of you who have the greatest talent. God's looking for men and women like Solomon who will come and say, Lord, give me a discerning heart. God, I want to be. I want to be godly. Let's pray. Lord, perhaps in just a small way you have spoken to us this morning. We look at our lives and we say, Lord, I'm not very teachable. God, then change us. Begin right now in our minds for us to make some adjustment, for us to change them, for us to say, I want to be teachable, I want to learn. I mean, I know I'm here academically to learn. That's not it, Lord. I want not only that, I want to learn how to be godly. Lord, some of us right now realize that that's the beginning point and we haven't had it. Some of us can see moral filth that has crept into our life in a whole variety of little fingers. And so some of us right now, because the Holy Spirit is bringing it to our mind, we are asking for your forgiveness from the moral filth in our life. We are saying, Lord, I recognize that it's sin and I ask for your forgiveness. There it is. And some of us right now, it's coming to our mind, but we just can't believe that's a problem. Lord, forgive us. For having such a blind spot. All right. But we want to humbly receive the word and we want to do it. We want to keep doing it. And some of us, Lord, some of us very humbly bow before you and say, Lord, I haven't been 
I haven't been pressing on toward the prize. I haven't been asking you to make me godly. Matter of fact, I haven't even been thinking about that as a priority. Lord, speak to me. And so while we're all praying just in this moment, I'm going to ask you here this morning, you say, you know, Mark, I've been listening, and God's spoken to my heart about some specific things. Would you just pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up? And I'm not going to you know, make you stand or acknowledge you or anything. I just want to pray for you for a moment. You say, yes, thank you. You're just saying, yes, I realize God is working here in me. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, all over, all over the room here. You know, sometimes God's been knocking and knocking at our heart's door. And he's saying to us, I want you. Sometimes we've been fighting it. We come this morning and say, you know what, Lord? I think you're trying to speak to me. That you want me to be godly. And I want, I want to humbly to receive the word and to do it. Anyone else? Say, just pray for me. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Lord, you've seen our hands, but more than that, you have seen our hearts. Really. Lord, you know it is not enough for us just to have the form of godliness, not just to look godly. We want to have your heart. God, we want to meet with you. We want you to meet with us. Thank you, Lord, for the touch of your hand upon our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.